welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Over the last nine weeks or so, we've been in a series called Real Jesus, and we've so far taught through the message um, of Jesus, and we've started getting into some stories that he shared. And what I've been hoping to show you is that when you apply context in history um, to a really familiar message or story, it expands our imagination. It gives us insight and better understanding for what not only Jesus taught, but for what it means to follow Jesus here and now. And my whole point, the whole point of the series, my hope is that you come to meet this Jesus that you um, dismiss the distorted views that you've carried along the way, whether from old churches or, or no church at all, and you come discover what is ultimately true, that Jesus lived in human history, he died on the cross, and he's been raised from the dead, and he currently reigns. And his life, his message, and his mission is for you here and now. It's for today. And it, uh, his life shapes our lives, and actually he offers us a better way to live. And if you come to know that Jesus, you will live an amazing story. You'll live an incredible life and adventure. Um, what I love about Christianity is that God always looks like Jesus. In scriptures we see, in the Christian story we see, that Jesus is the revelation of God. At Christmas we celebrate um, this word called incarnation. And what it means is that God took on human flesh and bone and uh, made his dwelling among us, as John writes, or uh, as the message translation translates, he uh, became flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. In other words, incarnation uh, is a way of Christianity. It means that there isn't a rule book. There, there's not a spiritual ladder to climb. There's, uh, not just, uh, there's, there's not some vague idea of this distant God. Jesus has made known to us what God is like. The incarnation means God says to us, I know what that feels like. I've been there too. What makes Christianity so great is that um, if you pay attention to Jesus, you actually discover a good and beautiful God. He's better than we could ever imagine. This is what makes Christianity so great. In fact, <clears throat> the common misperceptions, um, conceptions, excuse me, of God in the first century was that God was angry, God was distant, God was far off. He was uninterested in ordinary life, especially here and now. And that um, if you were favored or blessed by God, it had something to do with all the things that you could do in this life and world. That you're blessed based on conditions. So if you followed the right path, if you lived the perfect moral life, if you did lots of good, you would essentially have wealth, prosperity, favor, and health, and all sorts of stuff like that. But that's not the kind of God that Jesus reveals. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, Jesus' life reveals something different than that. Jesus' life frustrated the religious establishment. Jesus' life and mission um, angered the elite, the, uh, uh, those with power, those that were quote-unquote favorably blessed by that standard of living. 
a holy moral life, those that had capacity to do moral good, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, all sorts of religious establishment during the first century. And Jesus comes and he basically messes with everyone's perception of God. Their view of God was radically undermined by Jesus' message in life. And I love that about Jesus. I absolutely love what he does to our view of God if we let him because it insults and disturbs and disrupts our very understanding of how we ought to interact with this world. So this morning, I wanna tell another parable. I wanna share a parable with you in context. I'm gonna talk through it a little bit. So that's the first thing I wanna do. The second thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about um, from some observations of this parable I wanna, I wanna talk about how to live a better story. I think, you know, every time, every year, this time of year, December, as we move into a new year, I'm a goal setter, very competitive. Uh, I like to set goals and win whatever I can. But I, I like to, ex- <laughs> I do. <laughs> but I always, I always reflect in a good way. I read over my journals during this time. I journal a lot. I always reflect about the type of person I'm becoming or really the person I wanna become in the next season. Um, and, and this is what I do every time, and my wife knows this, I do it too often maybe, um, but every, t- every year around this time, my wife and I, since we've been married, we start talking about the goals we have for life, and, and she hates this stuff. She'll tell you that. She hates having, she'll, we'll go on dates around this time, and she's like, can we just not have those conversations? Can we just hang out? And I'm like, I, I, and I'm like putting my list away. I'm like, sure, yeah, that's fine, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. <laughs> like 15 points of what we're going to accomplish today. Um, it's true. I pull out my Evernote. And so anyways, so I've been thinking as I was praying for this, this talk, and I think that there's a lot of us that want a better story. We're looking at where we are, and we feel anxious. We're tired. Um, there's some, there are some things in our lives that aren't good habits. Um, there are some areas in our lives that we wish were better. Than, than they are right now. And I have, some, I have some ideas on what might help you experience a better story from the parable. So I'm gonna share some of those observations. And lastly, I'm just gonna talk about why this particular parable is so important to all of our lives as followers of Jesus. Sound good? I wanna pray again, because I just sense that um, w- w- in our short time, God might do some amazing things in this particular service if you let him. So let me pray again. Jesus, would you come... Lord, I thank you for the message that you've given me. And I pray that you would do what only you can do right now. That you would open hearts and minds to receive what becomes impossible to receive on our own strength. Lord, as we talk about grace, I pray that we would be gracious to ourselves as you are gracious to us. In your name we pray, amen. So turn with me to Luke. Thank you for that. I was waiting. I'm not gonna spoil anything. I did see it though, and I am fulfilled. <laughs> the force was awakened for sure. I'm just letting you know. Okay, uh, Luke 15, Luke 15, 11. Jesus, uh, let's just start into the parable, get some context. Here we go. Jesus continued. There was a, a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So right away in the first century, one verse in, you would be completely shocked by the story. 
This is appalling. Okay, first of all, in context, the younger son was not entitled to 50% of the, in, the inheritance. In first century context, um, if there were two sons, the oldest son was given a double portion of the inheritance. And in the Greek language here, what the father does is divide it equally among the two. So that's number one, that doesn't make sense. Number two, the younger son, when he requests the, his inheritance early, the estate, he's essentially saying in the first century, I wish you were dead. I don't want to have anything to do with you other than all the wealth you'll give me when you die. Give it to me now. In first century, this was very disrespectful, as much as it is now. But the type of disrespect that this uh, uh, had in first century context is significant. The son, uh, according to rabbinic tradition, could have been punished by uh, excommunication from family and community. Um, he could have been beaten um, or murdered, killed. He would have been rightfully killed for that type of disrespect and dishonor to the family because that's dishonoring not just the patriarch, the father, but the whole community by saying that. So that's shocking. But the most shocking is that the father actually gives his inherit the inheritance to the son while he's still alive. That makes no sense. The dad's crazy. If you would have heard this story, you would have thought, well, that's really weird about the son, but this father's nuts. He, it means he, he's not only embracing the idea that his son disrespects him, wants him dead, he's taking half of his, uh, his, his wages, half of his land and selling it, and he's being dishonored in the whole community. He would have, the father would have been dishonored. The father would have, would have been disgraced for such behavior. In one or two sentences, we already in the first century are given all sorts of context. We're like, what the heck is going on? You don't see the story coming based on this. So remember, parables are, are, are designed to shock you, to wake you up and make you think about life. Remember, they're causing you to dis, uh, disrupt the norm and make you think about how we interact in the world. And let me say that one more time. This parable has something to do with how we interact in this world. Are you with me? Okay, so those are the first things that when we apply context, we're like, okay, something's going on. Verse 13 says this. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off, uh, ed, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed Pigs, circle feed pigs, it's important. He longed, this is his desire, his mindset. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and look at his mindset, but no one gave him anything. So we get the next snapshot of the story. It's the younger son who squanders his inheritance in wild living. He goes off into a far country, lives this ex extravagant life. The prodigal is to live extravagantly. Uh, famine takes over that country. He loses everything. He goes to work for some man in that country, some, some, um, some work he does. He's doing work, and the guy sends him off to the fields of pigs. A field of pigs. Now in the first century, what you hear is this guy hit rock bottom but he doesn't know it yet. You see, he hit rock bottom because uh, pigs are unclean. In the first century, the Jewish mindset, you would not, not only, you wouldn't, excuse me, you wouldn't only not eat uh, pigs, 
pigs were outlawed, they were unclean, you wouldn't touch them. If you touched them, you became unclean. So here you have a Jewish community, a Jewish story, a Jewish boy going to serve and feed the pigs. And this is what we call in technical terms, rock bottom. Some of you are waiting for friends to hit rock bottom. If you've ever dealt with addiction, you know that it's very hard to change someone's mind or uh, perspective until they hit rock bottom. Because this guy wants to eat pig food and his mindset is um, uh, no one's given me anything. He longed to fill his stomach with pig food and he's a victim to his life's choices. He's a victim to life. He's, life is happening to him rather than the other way around. Are you with me? And this is the problem with so many of us today when we talk about trying to make change. Anyone want to experience transformation? Anyone here want to live um, this next season with peace and joy? <clears throat> Anyone here tired of being busy and distracted? Anyone here have habits they want to get rid of? Is anyone else a sinner like me? Because I, I definitely got some pa- patterns. Okay, like 12 of us. Wow. <laughs> this is a really holy church. Wow. <laughs> I got to wear a robe or something for you guys. Like, this is crazy. <clears throat> the point is, if, if you want to change and you want to experience transformation, the first thing that needs to come, if you want to live a better story, is you have to change your mind. And notice, I just want to point out his mindset. So he's hit rock bottom, but he doesn't realize it yet. His mindset is no one gave him anything. Nobody's given me anything. Well, who gave him an inheritance? Right? How many, how many of us walk around, and I'll just speak for myself. Life's happened to me. I'm a victim to my schedule. Right? I'm a victim to being busy. You know, it's, it's, it's not, quote unquote, my fault for the decisions I've made, even though I'm not following through with certain things in my life that I need to. We become a victim, and his mindset <clears throat> is that he longed to be filled but no one gave him anything. Something's wrong with his mind. So if you want to live a better story, this is my one observation in this story, it's, uh, you have to change your mindset. You have to start changing the way you think. Are you with me? Okay, so that's one observation. Let's keep going because it, it shows us what's next. Verse 17, look at what it says, right? When he came to his senses, hey babe, will you grab me water? You mind, thanks love. That's my wife. Hey, hey girl. I have to say hey girl because of Ryan Gosling because um, he says hey girl all the time, you know, so I'm just doing that to my wife. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Let's go back to the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Can't compete, man. All right, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So now his mind changes, right? Something clicks. He's got a change of mindset. He changes his mindset. And he says, he's basically like, I, I'm at the rock bottom. I'm here starving. And there are hired servants that have more food than me. So this is what he does. He sets a plan. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, look at this. Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So it says he came to his senses, okay? So his mindset changes. And then the second point about this next season, how do you live a better story? If you wanna live a better story, you have to make a plan. It's, you have to change your behaviors. It's not just enough to change your mind. You have to actually change 
your actions, your behaviors. We're stuck in the same old mindset. Okay, I'm gonna change. I wanna be different. I don't wanna starve. I don't wanna be consumed by all this stuff. I don't wanna be living a selfish life. I don't wanna keep arguing with my spouse. I gotta start thinking differently. And when you think differently, you make a plan. And so my invitation for 2016 is to not only change your mind, but to, to make a plan. And here's what I want you to do. Write down your number one. Not your number four, five, and six, right? Write down the best thing that you can do today, today for your number one. This, I promise you, this is like, like consulting self-help. This is getting $10,000 for free right now. Thank you, babe. But what you do is you write down your number one. So for example, how many of you are struggling financially? You're in debt. You're spending more than you make. Let me tell you what your number one is, right? Sign up, just sign up for, for a financial peace class. The number one is not, not to go to a financial piece. Number one is to sign up. Commit to yourselves this season that next year you are gonna go. Let it be written down. Put it in your journal. Write it down in your calendar, okay? That's your number one. What if you're here and you're lonely and you've been longing for authentic relationships and for some real friendship? Your number one is to email a community group leader today on the website, you can do this, and say, I wanna be in a community group. Email them as you, before you leave. Write it down. You want some friends? Join a community group. That's your number one. You're with me? You're struggling with patterns of behavior that we'll call sin, that are destructive, self-destructive, drinking too much, drugs, sexual behaviors. You're lying, you're still stealing. I, I, it's so amazing. A girl came up in, this, in the first service, just... We did a time of response and she feels all the shame and guilt she's been stealing. She had to confess, I've had need and I had to take some stuff. I said two things. She's just feeling so guilty. I said, you're, you're, God frees you from that guilt. You're forgiven. You're released from that. Uh, and, and then I said, but also because you're in a community, we're gonna make sure that you have what you need from now on, okay? So just let us know you don't have to steal anymore. But what did I say? It's this, if you're struggling with sin, confess it to someone. That's your number one. Tell someone about it. The skeletons in your closet will lose power when they're no longer secrets in your life. You're with me. For me, my number one was, uh, my, I've been so, it's just my recurring sin, honestly. And I was reading about my personality type um, over this week. I took, you know, Myers-Briggs again and Enneagram and I, I love that stuff. But I was reading about like the, the destructive self, right? So when I'm stressed, I go a certain direction. And, and it's literally like you become too busy um, and, and you become stressed and you become undisciplined. And that's the truth of my life. I just get anxious. I, make, I try to make everyone happy. And, and so my wife and I have had some tension about that over the last few months because we, apparently we had a kid. I forgot about that. So we have a kid. <laughs> I didn't forget about that. Believe me, I didn't forget about that. And, um, but we have this two-year-old and, and it's like the more responsibilities you get, the older you get, the, the more things that you have going on in your head and your mind and your life. And it's like life just kind of goes by, does it not? It just flies by, it feels like. Last, it was like yesterday my son was one. And I'm like, am I the kind of dad that is present and real and, and centered and showing my son how to live and be a joyful Christ follower? And I want to be really great. I don't want to just be a good dad. I want to be a great dad. I don't want to just be a good husband. I want to be a great husband. There these things in my life that I want to do. And I realize that my lack of schedule and discipline has kept me from being those things. It's not, it's not these, these big sins at all. It's little things. And so what was my number one? It was a meeting with my wife where I wrote down my schedule and I submitted it to her. I said, okay, this is what we're gonna do starting in January. This is our new schedule. That was my number one so that I can move towards being a great husband and a great father. Does that make sense? Is this helpful? 
if this was helpful, just raise your hand. I just want to make sure I'm not just preaching to myself. Okay, great. I would preach to myself, but it wouldn't be as fun. So, um, although it might, because I'll laugh at my jokes. Um, just kidding. I really would though. Okay, so let's go back. So that's a couple of points on making some life transformations. What's your number one? Write it down, follow through with it. Um, if you want to live a better story, some, you have to change your mindset and you have to make a plan. The younger son says, I'm gonna go back to my father's house and become a hired servant. In first century context, servants were part of the household. They were part of the family. They lived on the estate. A hired servant had a particular skill set and they worked for a wage um, and they lived in a nearby village outside of the estate and they were not considered part of the family. So many commentators believe that this is the son's strategy. He knew he disgraced his father and his father's household, which meant his whole community. And according to rabbinic tradition, if you violated a community standard, you, an apology was not enough to be uh, welcomed back into the culture, or back into the community or family. You had to make restitution for the wrong that you did. You had to pay off, basically, the problem that you created. So the th- son thinks, at the very least, this is his business plan. I'm not worthy to be his son, but I'll become a hired servant, live outside of the village, and pay off the debt, and work my way back into my family's household. So he, he comes up with this plan. That's his strategy according to the first century. And then he creates um, this speech in his head. And I want you to just think about this for a second because the image here of the parable is quite interesting. He's a far way away. He's a ways off. He's eating pig food. And he finally changes his mind. He starts changing his behavior. He comes up with this strategy, this business plan, and makes his way back home. And on this road back home, he's got this narrative. He's got this story he's telling himself, the way it was. As he walks home, rehearsing his speech, ready for the confrontation, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I'm no longer worthy. I'm unworthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired servant. That's the narrative, he says. Because he messed up so bad. Because he, he disgraced his dad. He told him he wishes he was dead. He lost all the money. He, he became an outsider to, to his community. He, he got so down in life that there's nothing else he can do. The only strategy he has other than death is to go home. Go home to dad. Face his biggest fear at this point, I guess. And share his narrative, his, his story, which is, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to work my way back. And that's the story. But then verse 20, something else happens. Check this out. Probably one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. So he got up and went to his father, telling himself, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. This is the heart of the Christian message. 
And it starts with a view of the Father that Jesus reveals. It's so good. While he was still a long way off, his father takes off running. And in the first century, men did not run. It was completely undignified and embarrassing for many reasons. But one reason is they picked up their robe and they exposed their manly calves as they ran. And, and, and women ran, children ran, young men didn't run. Old men, patriarchs definitely didn't run. They wouldn't do that. It was, a, it was a taboo in the first century. But this father sees him far away and does what you wouldn't do in the Middle Eastern context. He picks up his robe and jets towards his son, demonstrating his emotions. And he confronts his son. And notice his son tries to roll out the business plan, tries to tell the story as he saw it. And he interrupts him and he says, no, 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 no. Bring the robe, the sandal, the ring, all saying to the village, the community, and his family, Restoration, reconciliation, wholeness. Kill the fattened calf. You wouldn't eat meat with every meal. It was a delicacy to eat meat. It was a rare thing. And if you killed a big old cow, for that matter, you would be celebrating not just with your family, the whole village would be there. So you have this image that the son comes home ready to be experiencing shame, condemnation, getting kind of the tally of debt with interest. And instead he's met by a father who says, let's party. You're home, my boy's home, my boy's home, my boy's home. There's celebration, celebration in this story. You'd never see it coming. I love it. I'm not, the, the father, I, I just, the son just starts rolling out his idea of what needs to take place. He just says, I'm not worthy. Let me pay it off. I owe you big time. Let, just wait till I can pay. And the, the, the dad's like, no way. I'm not gonna wait for you to pay off your debt. I'm not gonna wait for you to work this off. I'm not gonna let you earn your way back into this family. I'm going to take you back in. I'm, I will cover your nakedness. I will cover your poverty. I will take care of your debt and I will cover your rags with robes of my honor and glory because you are my boy. Do you know this God? Is this the God? that you've come to serve and worship and experience in your own life. When we are asked, what is the Christian God like? Who is God and what is he like? We have to say that we have to tell a story and it goes something like this. Oh, what's God like? He's like a father who has a son who squanders his inheritance, lives wildless, a foolish life, gets to the end of his rope, and decides finally to come home, thinking that he has to earn his way back to his father's love. And while he's a far way off, this father takes off running, sees him turning the corner, and he jets to his boy, wraps his arms around him before he can make any excuses and kisses him on the face over and over again, saying, my boy, welcome home. That's what our God's like. That's what our God's like. This is the story of the Christian, Christian message, that prodigals are welcomed home. The Christian God is like a father who runs after you until you hear a whisper, my boy or my girl, welcome home. He is relentlessly pursuing you. This is the very essence of the gospel. And this is at the center of why Jesus lives the way he did, why, excuse me, why he lived the way he did, why he taught the messages he taught. This is at the essence of what he's working for because he came to seek and save the lost. If you want to live, here's another observation, okay? You with me? You get, I got a couple more points. We're good? I know you want to just sit there. A couple more observations. 
If you want to live a better story, if you want to live a better story, make, you know, change your mind, make a plan. Listen to this part. This is probably the hardest part. Make sure you're telling the right story. And this is the observation I made this week that really messed me up um, in all the right ways. <laughs> we all carry a version of our own story around in our heads and hearts, don't we? We all carry a narrative about who we think we are, how valuable we are, what, what like, identity we have. And the younger son carried this story when he hit rock bottom. And the narrative was, I'm no longer worthy to be my dad's son. I'm no longer worthy to be my father's son. The story he was telling was one that he decided that he wasn't worth being his father's son, that he made so many mistakes that he was no longer who he, th- who, who he once was. And so for him, his story was one of shame and guilt and, and not being good enough. And, and it's a story of leaving home. It's a story uh, of having to earn his way back. It's a story of having to pay back and pay off a debt that was so big. I'm no longer worthy, but worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired servant. And for so many of us, this is the story we tell even once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is the story we're telling as followers of Jesus. And if that's true, you're missing the point. You're telling the wrong story. You're living in the wrong story. If your story is one, I have to earn my way back. I have to, uh, it's one of shame and condemnation and guilt. You're telling the wrong story because the son comes home and this is what's so profound about this story. The son has rehearsed his story. He's rehearsed it. And he goes to his dad and he's confronted with a different version of the story. He was telling himself the wrong story all this time. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be be called your son. I gotta earn it. I gotta pay it off. But the dad just says, no, 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 no. This is a story of reconciliation. This is a story of restoration. This isn't a story of you leaving. This is a story of you returning. Are you with me? The story is you can't earn the fact that you're my son. You are my son because I say so. You can't pay off the debt because there is no debt. It's taken care of. Now I want you to imagine, I'm getting really passionate. (laughs) The reason this is, I'm gonna come back to this. The reason this is so profound for me because I am a prodigal son. At 17, I left the Christian faith I was so angered by relationships that, took, that were supposed to be loving and good that, ha- that took place. Divorce happened in my life. I, I became angry. I became resentful. I became distant. I took all of that anger and I pointed it at God and I hated him for what I didn't understand about him. I went to college and I convinced Christians to leave their faith. I partied. I drank lots of alcohol. I scheduled my life around crowds and parties. I masked my pain with fun. I... I hid my anger with pleasant, optimistic smiles and attitudes. I was depressed. I was angry. I was, I was soothing the deep sadness with all sorts of life that was not really life at all. I had convinced people to walk away from their faith, and I became really, really dark, I could say. And then one day, one day, it's just, I, was, um, I was at a party. I was drunk. 
17-year-old kid. I don't know what, I don't even know what I was doing, but I was drunk and there was a place that was passing out free cheeseburgers. It was a Christian ministry. I didn't know it until I got a cheeseburger. And there was a Christian. (laughs) This woman came up to me. I was ready to debate. I was furious. I was ready to debate and she comes up to me and I'm ready to, to go for it you know, anti-apolog- I was anti-apologetics. I was reverse apologetics, trying to convince people to walk away. And this woman says, turn your cup upside down. If a cop sees you drinking in public, you'll get a ticket and arrested. And she just walked away with a pleasant smile. And she was kind. She didn't judge me. She didn't place all this guilt on about, about what I was doing. And in an instant, I heard a voice, which was an invitation through a question in the center of my being where God just said, what are you doing? And I knew it was him, and I knew it was Jesus, and I literally ran home, dropped the free cheeseburger, which was a big deal for a struggling poor college student. Ran home, (laughs) ran to our apartment, um, and I I rededicated my life back to Jesus right then and there. I gave my life back to God. Um, And and, and the story goes on where where I, I gave my whole life back to Jesus in that moment. I knew he was God. I knew that this is, I have to give everything to him. But I kept playing the narrative of the younger son over and over and over again. It took me years, years, even after I planted the church to realize I was living under this younger son mentality, which meant I wasn't worthy for your grace and love. I wasn't worthy of being welcomed back without a debt. I felt I had to pay it off. And so what did I do? I did every Christian thing you could possibly do. I served the homeless regularly. I started a homeless ministry in Skid Row. I served um, the youth at, at, at Rock Harbor. I wrote youth curriculum. I went to church like twice a week. I started a Bible study with men. I did a, a fellowship group. I gave more and more time and energy because the whole time I wasn't living in the story that God was telling me. I was telling my version of the story, not his version. And it took years to realize that I was telling the wrong story. Because the story of the prodigal son is the story of one returning home, not leaving home. And the story is all about this tiny little word that has profound implications for our life. And the word is grace. And grace means that you can't actually do anything to earn his love. You can't do anything to pay back what you've done. You can't do anything on your own strength. It's simply what is ultimately true about you. The only possible thing you can do is accept it like a gift because it doesn't make sense and it's so offensive and it's not fair because that's exactly what grace is about. It's God's way of being unfair. It has nothing to do with the son's speech. It has everything to do with the father's actions. You either have to accept it, embrace it, and experience it and live it out. Otherwise, you're living in the wrong story and this story is far better than your own story. Until you embrace this, you don't realize the power of the message of Jesus Christ. This is what God is like. God is like a father who loves and forgives and pardons and restores every single kind of sin and wrongdoing and brokenness. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've gone. This is what's ultimately true about you. This is the Christian story and grace is completely unfair. It doesn't make sense. It's, it, it's about a God, a, a father who throws parties for the son who squanders his inheritance. That's so unfair. Grace is unfair. It's the very essence of grace. The younger son doesn't deserve the party, but that's how grace works. Christianity is completely unfair. You get what you don't deserve. 
And I want you to experience this this Christmas. The greatest word I've come to learn and try to accept, and it's that Jesus gives us grace. So stop struggling. Stop trying to prove yourself. Stop thinking you're not good enough. Stop trying to earn your way back. You'll never pay it off. It's already been paid. And now as a result of what's been done, go and live. That's the prodigal story. That's the story of the prodigal son. A son returns home and all you have to do is say yes and live a better story. Amen? So why is this parable the most important parable for us this morning? Why is this parable, why does it matter so much? Because the Christian story is about a God that has been pursuing you since you were born. He's, he's the kind of God that will come after you before you get your speech together, before you get your act cleaned up, before you can even try to earn your way back, before you get your life all together, and before you deal with your addictions, your sins, your sinful behavior, before you get your doubts answered. The Christian story is about a God who is in crazy love with you and who wants you to know that love. Amen. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.